0: No will <small noise>
1: Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research, episode 69. Not going to be doing anything on the 6-9 time signature because it simply doesn't exist. Instead, we're going to be. Yeah, well, we thought about doing it on the position, but, you know, (laughs) I prefer the uh, 128 position a little more, if you know what I'm saying. Um, Anyway, uh, Hunter Ginn, welcome once again.
2: Ah, Jeff Wagner.
1: You, you always seem to uh, good, good to be here. You always see, seem to be down for these ideas, these these ideas about talking about music.
2: I am. i dude, you know, I think music's back, man. Rock's back, listening's back.
1: It's all back. It's all it's all back, bro. It's, it's coming back. Before we launch into our Eucharist Mirror Worlds dissection, we gotta give a huge thanks to listener Chris Warunki. I hope I'm saying that correctly, it's W-A-R-U-N-K-I. He reached out to us just in general and had a lot of nice things to say about the podcast, which for which we're always really grateful. He also attached a Eucharist interview from 2016 that he did with Daniel and Marcus, the two guys who are basically Eucharist. Uh, that was initially for some webzine that is no longer in existence. and. Uh, I jumped in and said, hey, we will put that on our blog. So by the time this episode comes out, we will have that posted on the Radical Research blog at RadicalResearch.org. Please do look for that as a good supplement to the conversation we're just about to have and launch into right now. So Mirror Worlds, this is a 1997 album by a Swedish band called Eucharist. Their second and so far final. Gosh, (laughs) where do we start?
2: weird time
1: it's late in swedish death metal it's late in i don't know if it's late in melodic death metal which this certainly intersects with but
2: i would think about like the albums from that time like without grief
1: wow Um, you're already pulling them out all right Gates of Ishtar already had about three albums out. No, no,
2: no. Like, we're not. We're not, not going to talk about Gates of Ishtar.
1: Okay, tonight.
2: GOI. <laughs> Otherwise, it's, it's GOI. Go ahead. No, but I mean, like, it, it is a bit late. You know, the Gothenburg scene was like really kind of a short-lived thing.
1: Gardenian.
2: But I well, their best album came out in '99.
1: Was that the second one? yeah soul burner yeah i know some people who love that huge
2: fan of that album
1: never got into it but i don't Uh, know
2: not not a lot of people it's a contentious album yeah i'm a big fan that i don't i don't even know that that album really qualifies
1: no i know i hear you
2: Uh, i mean it is such a like weird late 90s hybrid thing
1: yeah yep
2: But the album that is the subject of tonight's conversation, absolutely Gothenburg thing.
1: I think in saying that it came out kind of late 97 and they kind of disappeared shortly after that. I think that's important to note that simply because it didn't seem to get very much traction when it came out. Right. And I don't, you know, I think they were always kind of this cult level band, but I certainly think that the band in general, And mirror worlds in particular have really grown in stature over the years
2: sure yep dimension zero
1: dimension zero or
2: i uh, mean that that ep like super late 97 yep nobody really seemed to appreciate it and then they released a really mediocre full length
1: (laughs) completely another melodic death metal thing from sweden that i always thought should be a whole lot bigger than it is uh in terms of stature and and recognition is the first armageddon crossing the rubicon oh man yeah 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 and and i don't think we need to discuss the history of melodic swedish death metal for our listeners but you know of course everybody's familiar with at the gates in flames dark tranquility etc etc for me we haven't really discussed this hunter but for me mirror world's if i had to choose one from this whole melodic death metal whatever we think that definition entails this mirror worlds album is my very favorite i like it i like it more than any dark tranquility album i like it more than any at the gates album there's something about mirror worlds that i you, find you like
2: it more than the gesture race
1: yes damn yeah
2: well cool man i respect that
1: <laughs> it's just i, I it, and, and it ha- I liked it when I loved it when it came out, but I've just grown to have a very special affection for it as the years go by. Like it never it's never far from me. It, it always sounds so amazing to me. Like, I think the production is excellent. I think the playing is excellent. I think the writing is excellent.
2: The production I, is like nothing
1: else. We, we talked about the minimalism or we hinted at that last episode because we did feature one of their songs in the six, eight episode. I feel like the minimalism, the the minimalism on this album is a little bit deceptive because there's so much substance and there's so much going on. I don't know. There's something magical about this album and it just continues to be my favorite of of this whole thing. Like if I had to pick one, I'm not asking you to pick one. I don't think it's maybe your favorite of all time in terms of melodic Swedish death metal, but it's it's way up there for you. And I didn't have. to
2: Absolutely. It's so, I mean, I'll just go ahead and disclose it. My top three are, the gallery the gesture race and this
1: okay dark tranquility and flames and this yeah. that's that's good company
2: honestly like god um yeah 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 all right <laughs> i think my other i
1: think one of my top three would be that armageddon album crossing the rubicon uh yeah I don't, that'd
2: be number I, four know. for me probably
1: yeah uh and maybe dark tranquility mind's eye for me but um Before we get lost in all of that list making, let's uh, let's just look a little bit how Eucharist sounded before this. Now, everybody knows they had the Velvet Creation album. We're not going to talk too much about that. I think it has its place in I'm just going to say more general Euro metal. I think it was a really kind of special album when it landed. It was made by these, what, 17 year old kids when it was out. Ridiculous. Really, really young. Daniel Erlinson, the drummer and Marcus Johnson, the guitarist, vocalist, kind of the main cogs in this band. Then they went on to appear with two songs, uh, two new songs on the war comp. This is the wrong again records compilation that came out in, uh, what was it? 95, 95, 95. Great compilation as compilations go. There aren't many that are, that we could probably consider uh, essential, but this one is essential. The
2: man, the, the catatonia tracks. Yep. Dissection, Um, the section, the section, punish my heaven, the demo version.
1: Yes morning sign
2: yeah for sure
1: yeah great stuff all kinds of great stuff on this thing then Uh, there's some dodgy stuff too ceremonial oath uh yeah there's (laughs) nothing there's nothing that's terrible i mean
2: no there's not
1: the miscreant isn't like all that memorable but like it's it's the reason it's It's all good yeah it's it's a classic comp because you listen all the way through and, and it works but we're going to listen to snippets of each of uh, t- Eucharist's two songs on, the, on that album. And, you know, had, had these songs and this era of Eucharist been turned into a full length, I'd hate to think what I would think of that album, because these are, these are incredible.
2: The, this is the best.
1: This is Wounded and Alone and The Predictable End. there you go the two eucharist tracks from the war comp I- i've always been held especially in thrall with that part from predictable and the um a eh, i don't know how to describe it so i'll just badly say it it gets way out of what you would ever expect it gets from any, super emotional any of these kinds of bands it i mean i would i would liken it to something maybe opeth ish I also really yeah. like how that's followed by some open chord strumming, which again, yep. not typical. And, and uh, this is one facet of the magic of this band.
2: I would also like to talk about the atheist influence.
1: Oh yeah. Wow. Okay.
2: And I uh, feel like atheists really had a hold on Scandinavia at a certain point
1: at the gates for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: totally well and not Scandinavia because I know it was, uh, it's not typic it's not technically Scandinavia but sentenced in Finland
1: oh yeah north from here has a lot of atheists there. north
2: from here has a ton so like basically northern Europe
1: yeah but when you say Scandinavian I I always like to include Finland because I I feel like they should be in there I, I don't know if they'd like but no,
2: I do too but they're you know uh, you know, Russian territory.
1: Should we start a a petition?
2: Maybe. You know what, Jeff, (laughs) we, we should start a petition.
1: Two two dudes from the U S South have made Finland a Scandinavian country. Officially. That's uh, (laughs) a, that's a good story. Officially. (laughs) Uh, Talking about influences. I was reading that uh, Chris Warunki interview. The the first influence that they name uh, is is dark thrones soul side journey so i like that um and you got to think this is this is right. them this is them Hell on the cu- album too yeah but this is them on the cusp of their early yeah. stuff we may right. not hear much of that here but we we that's that's an avowed influence you
2: can hear the ambition there though
1: the other influences are uh that they listed in this interview are death paradise lost celtic frost nihilist dismember and morbid angels so a lot a lot of the usual suspects um yeah let's uh let's get into mirror worlds though Uh, just having kind of previewed them with the war comp this is what they went to i think what we just heard is a great bridge between velvet creation and mirror worlds but mirror worlds streamlined and truncated just even a little bit more and again i I think they kept the magic so we're going to start with uh we're going to start with two mirror world and dissolving
2: Eucharist, right? Yeah,
1: we do. We yeah, do. We've
2: got a we've got a down tuned, dialed in Eucharist.
1: Yeah, it's and it's very different in tone to the first album.
2: It is, and I think the thing to note about this album is how uniform it is. Mm-hmm. Like Dave really, really like focused on this album.
1: And it would be. It would be erroneous to call it minimal although i keep going back to that word i think you called it something you call it economical and i and i think that's the way to go it's just they're they're just stripping away just a little bit from before right and and i think that's why perhaps the impact is even stronger i mean can you imagine if a crystal if crystal age had had stripped down their songwriting for impact might be a better album so just just saying kind of the reason that
2: the war tracks are so fascinating is because they're Mm. not stripped down
1: right but they're getting there
2: like you've got some excesses that are and you know you you and i love quirks sure you know we love weird albums sure and it's really fun to have two eucharist tracks that are so eccentric but then it's also really satisfying to have a Eucharist album that's so like dialed in.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen to Mirror World. It's just a, this blaze. Uh, yeah. it, it's it's sort of like you know, kind of fire in musical form. Dissolving right. is 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 groovy and circular, uh, but sticks mm. to the, sticks to the point. You're you're headbanging like crazy man, to man. it. I'm headbanging like groovy crazy to and it. Circular. That's how yeah. dissolving is. It's, yeah, yeah.
2: Man. Look at you, Jeff Wagner.
1: I don't know words.
2: Here's you're, something. You're, in- man, you're you're a man of words, anyway.
1: <laughs> but I I think listening to just those two songs, I, for me, one of the things that makes this album so special and why I put it on the on the top tier that I do is Marcus Johnson's vocals. I mean, he is seething. He's unhinged, and he's he's controlling it. I love his voice on this album. Yep. I mean, it's he's he's just not going to get any better. Had nice they go, had they had they gone on, he probably wouldn't have improved this. I just don't see how you can improve this beyond just moving into a whole other area altogether. Mm. Um, and Daniel Erlinson, great drummer. I mean, oh, he's amazing. Listen to him all over this. Stuff. Amazing.
2: Yeah. yeah. He's got that very kind of organic, rocky Nicky Anderson thing
1: yes he does
2: very that the chris reifert thing that very few metal drummers have yes intuitive just flowing and and again like you said circular
1: when when he's been asked about influences he names anderson and he names reifert so there you go oh well there you go let's talk about the production this surprisingly was produced by the same Frederick Larnamo who produced velvet creation. And (laughs) (laughs) which
2: is like unreal.
1: No, it is. I, you know, velvet creation was the first metal album this guy had ever touched. So that's part of it. Then he got into doing more and more stuff from, I think largely from Sweden. I don't know if he went outside that too much, a lot of stuff that you and I don't listen to, but know about. So that's kind of the area he got kind of into, but thankfully he did something right here because man, this this is the other thing about this album. It's just so earthy sounding and organic sounding and warm. And uh, the stupid word plump comes to mind, but like there's there's, there's kind of, there's kind of this healthy fatness to everything, right? (laughs) Plump, (laughs) Uh, Dude, yeah, plumper, plumper worlds.
2: Nope, <laughs> never thought about that one before. But he, but he
1: clearly, Larnimo learned a lot between '93 and '97 because. <laughs> yep, it's just I love the way this thing sounds. It's just warm. Yeah, now that I've said plump, it I
2: is. You, I mean, it is like a total, just analog wet fest.
1: Uh, speaking of which, it was if if not entirely, it was in part recorded on analog tape.
2: I'm sure. Uh, no,
1: so that's that's kind of great. Um, yeah. yeah, let's move on. We're going to so listen.
2: Like, yeah, let's like stop talking. and Listen.
1: Yeah, let's do it with the sun. Yeah. Now, we featured this song last time on the uh, last episode on the six, eight episode. But uh, here it is again. A little Goddamn
2: masterpiece. It's great. Let, let, look, th- th- this song is. Um, yeah, a bit of a thing for me. How so? It' like a, 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 a personal issue for me.
1: Oh, really? Yes. Why don't we play okay. it and you tell us why after right. we're out? All right. I. Right. So tell us, Hunter, what's what's the uh, the thing with you in this song? There's a thing.
2: So it's basically two notes mm. that really guide the whole mood of this song. It's two notes,
1: kind of the hanging notes that yeah, OK, OK, OK.
2: How many bands can work within the economy of that scale and move you to that extent.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. And I, and I think when you have that blasting cut in there um, it it shouldn't work, but they make that seamless. So, so yeah, man, that's a really good point.
2: Yeah. Also six, eight,
1: six, eight, there you go. (laughs) Hence, hence it's inclusion in our previous show. I want to say something further about the sound on this album and and particularly the drums in that great interview that uh, Chris Warren I'm going to fuck up his name, so I'm just not even going to try anymore. Chris W uh, is offering to give us Daniel Erlinson said that they were going for a drum sound reminiscent of the early albums by Black Sabbath, Frost and Merciful Fate. And I thought, well, that's totally flat. God, that totally makes sense. You know, like it's just
2: it's like so Chris rushing who you know
1: yeah guitarist of campus Players. Uh, yes one of them has
2: either. a whole lot to say about the drum sound of this album
1: uh i hope like I hope a like
2: a lot like more than you would ever want to hear
1: <laughs> we should have had him as a guest
2: yeah we maybe we should have
1: so like, what, what can you sum, summarize what he would say about
2: well i mean so yeah i mean it's kind of the same thing like it like there's no eq yeah, it's utterly without reverb. Anything, it's just a, like a flat drum tone.
1: But a good one. I mean, it's not. Oh it's not, yeah,
2: no, well, and, and that that's not what he's saying. Like, it's not
1: without depth.
2: It, no, it just like it's just a straight up drum to, like Steve Gad, like '78.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay.
2: Just totally flat.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I I think it works well with the tone of the guitars. Can I mention Marcus's vocals again? Damn. It's funny because we only get Marcus on six songs because it's an eight song album. Two of them are instrumental. Uh, One of them is called The Eucharist. We're going to listen to that now. This is kind of the first little curveball I think they throw you or at least maybe something that harkens back to their earlier age where they were maybe just a little little more adventurous. And uh, this is a six and a half minute instrumental that for me holds the attention all the way through. This is uh, something maybe we can just study the production a little bit more and and that really, really great drum sound. And uh, yeah, let's go. These guys are about 20, 21 years old when they recorded this.
2: So depressing. <laughs> That's great.
1: We should probably mention Martin Carlson. He played bass on this. This was the only Eucharist thing he was a part of. Uh, as far as I know, didn't go on to much of any great repute. Yeah, but uh, I he, mu- I know. Yeah. he must be credited. He adds to the plumpness of Mirror Worlds. So... <laughs> <laughs>
2: How did it it take us 69 episodes to get to plumbness?
1: I have no idea, dude. I've been holding it back. I I had the idea for the first episode, (laughs) but I've I've been holding it back. (laughs) And holding on to this card for quite some time. I got to lay her down. We, I want to mention too this album. If you listen to it all the way through, which of course is the only way we recommend doing it, we just make exceptions for, for our selfish little show here. But if you do, you'll find that there are a lot of effects kind of weaved in and out going through this thing, uh, kind of just adding a little bit of depth and interest to what's going on. Um, I think that's another really great part of this album yep. is, is, is that aspect. It's, it's, um, they're only it's done very by- subtle. It is very subtle, but they work. And, I, you know, you you and I are hi-fi listeners, so we, I think we probably have caught these as much as we've listened to this album. And I think it would really lack something without it. Kudos to, Sta- I don't know how to say this guy's name, Staffan Likander, uh, credited with effects, one of two guest artists that appears on this record. We'll get to the other one uh, in a few snippets. Wanted to also mention that Marcus Johnson, obviously the guitarist vocalist, we've mentioned that a few times, but for anybody that doesn't know, very, very, very important cog in this machine by his own admission, he was amidst an IV intravenous amphetamine addiction, uh, at this time and also alcohol during the making of mirror worlds, um, yeah. kind of interesting. And he's, he says that he's since sobered up as of 2007, or only occasionally drinks. We're going to talk about that a little bit more when we get to a song called In Nakedness, but I wanted to throw that out there because I, I, I find that interesting. It sounds to me well, like something I've, that's just made with such focus.
2: I'll share my thing if you're cool with it.
1: Uh, oh, of course. No, of course.
2: Um, so I am also a recovering alcoholic and have been through you know, medical issues with my alcoholism and a lot of other things. And I'm not ashamed of it and neither should he be, you know, it's a disease and it can also lead you down some really productive paths.
1: And that's the thing. If he's mixing alcohol and intravenous amphetamines and he's making an album on the level of mirror worlds, I'm not, I'm not going to say that stuff was doing right for him, but it certainly didn't hurt him.
2: (laughs) Well, well, I'm, I'm not either, but I mean, like once you get on the other side of it, it can lead you down to really productive things, right? Because it can make you understand how life itself is a blessing.
1: Do you I mean, being on the other side of it now, because I know this is a somewhat recent thing for you in terms of um, yeah. you know, take, taking a turn, quitting drinking, sure. you know, dealing with all that. Do you find any humor any further? Because I know you and I have joked about this and so have other people, uh, Megadeth fans who always say that Dave Mustaine should go back on heroin because that's when he wrote his <laughs> best music. <laughs> it's when he wrote his best music. So, I mean, that's what, you know, that's the consensus. No,
2: so I, 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 I think that's bullshit.
1: fair enough i
2: i I do like and i i I don't think there's any real correspondence to any of that like maybe you wrote your best shit when you were on drugs and maybe you wrote your best shit when you're sober i don't think there's any one-to-one relationship there
1: fair enough i mean look at frank zappa
2: Right, th- that's what I'm saying.
1: Like other other than tobacco and nicotine, I I, I, yeah.
2: I I don't believe that.
1: Right, right. Well, fair enough. I mean, I think that's I think that's and
2: I and I think up. that some people wrote their best music when they were fucked up, and I think that some people wrote their best music when they were sober.
1: And Marcus might have written his best music when he was fucked up. So there you go. Right. So it is, I don't, it is, I just, it is what it is.
2: Yeah, I don't. Yeah,
1: I don't. Yeah. Gotcha. I don't believe that well let's check out two really spectacular moments on this album this is the i guess the b side if if uh this came out in the album age uh this is demons followed by fallen Yeah. first man let's go back to demons that guitar solo yep. just rip my head off i have no head
2: so i'm kind of thinking in real time here because a, a lot of times i don't really prepare for these episodes because i like to be surprised eucharist might be the most emotional of all the Gothenburg bands
1: i fully agree i've i've noticed that before and again i think that's another reason this this album just doesn't it, doesn't it like, so much. I,
2: I have just like you and I listening to these things tonight. It just has bowled me over.
1: Yeah, demons. I think that's a that's a really good snippet from yep. demons. If if you want to know one thing about this album, that that's that's the thing. That's the high yep. point. That's for, I agree for me. I agree. Probably always been my favorite song in this album, and I love that guitar solo and that the whole sequence so much it's a very consistent they, album they, they, they but... just
2: they pair everything down to the absolute essentials
1: yep and well what, what, what? let's get back to the emotional thing though i think the delivery it's all in the delivery it's all in the passion yep. uh and 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 how genuine that is and i think marcus and daniel are delivering just at, at a very high level i don't think daniel has ever been better uh, I know he's more popular in another no. more popular band, but <laughs> I, I think this is his no. performance. This no. is his crowning uh, performance, uh, all 37 minutes of it. In fact, if you take away a nakedness, it's less, but really incredible. And um, yeah, good observations, man. Here's where the album for me gets even better because there's such a curveball here within nakedness. Uh,
2: uh, yeah, big time.
1: <laughs> really, really puzzled the first time I heard it, but I, I love it so much. Just as a piece of music, if I didn't know what it was, I think I'd be captivated and, you know, without any prejudice of like, oh, this being Eucharist, this is cool. I just think it's a really interesting piece of music. I've never heard anything really quite it like is. it. Like I couldn't draw uh, some sort of like comparison or make an analog to anything else. Well, uh, anything, anything that it let's brings to mind to for you. Yeah, let's listen to it. This is a uh, feature. do it. Features Kenneth Groenberg on Oboe, and this is the uh, second to last song on Mirror Worlds.
2: It's like, if Disharmonic Orchestra and Jan Garbarek got together,
1: uh, who's Jan Garbarek?
2: He's a Norwegian uh jazz saxophonist.
1: Okay, okay,
2: uh, yeah, an, an ECM fixture.
1: As I was listening to that, I'm like, Of course, it sounds like something off of ECM, you know, <laughs> like I, I yeah, just it said, it's total, total ECM territory. I mean, it, even exactly, even, even something uh that could have been on a 70s Crimson album somewhere, yep.
2: Oh, do do oh my god. Dude.
1: Yeah, a little Mel Collins.
2: You you're you're more right than I am.
1: Yeah, yes. I like I like the disharmonic no, the it's no, no. good. it's
2: Mel Collins.
1: Yeah, the very Mel Collins.
2: It's um, Mel Collins.
1: But still, yeah. still like think about the territory we're in. Think about where we're at and and how this song fits into an album like this. I just that is the genius. And and here's what Marcus says about in nakedness he said it was a result of his addiction and his psychosis like state at the time. Uh, He said he doesn't even like that track. And he says, quote, and this is from that great Chris Warunki interview. It is anxiety and evidence of a psyched out mind that was just not working at all. Unquote. (laughs) Again, it it works there. Uh, He, he, that's his opinion. He's the creator of it. And that's fair enough. But, you know, thank you for, the anxiety and and what that led you to because this is this is a beautiful moment and i think i would love the album without it i like it a lot more with it yeah same not sure if that's a a popular opinion or not i had read some reviews online on this album recently and um, some people seemed quite puzzled which you know i understand that i guess this is kind of where i wished at the gates would sometimes try to travel and they never never really did and it also begs the question, where would Eucharist have gone? Would they have incorporated more of this kind of thinking into album number three? We will probably never know. Although yes. I have it on good faith that they're recording another album. But, uh, you know, I'll, yeah. we'll wait right. 25 years later. We'll, we'll wait until the evidence is in front of us to yeah. render any kind of judgment. I know you already yeah. probably don't like it, but I'm just <laughs> no. I'll, I'll keep an open mind. What if it came out and it was great? What if it was great? Yeah. I
2: mean, it's then possible be Open to it
1: okay okay <laughs> yeah no, no. you're like guilty until proven innocent basically in terms of like I, yeah is this going to be <laughs> <I am. laughs> that's great so the band broke up shortly after this it was mostly due to daniel spending time with arch enemy who most of you have probably heard of uh and have varying opinions on we won't get into that other than to say we like the uh the first three albums, I think, Among Us, right? Yes. Yeah. What, Arch Enemy? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. First three albums.
2: God, I love those first three
1: albums. Okay. We're we're on the yeah, same page. We're, yeah. on the, we're on the same yeah. page. And Marcus was still having some issues at the time, just drugs and whatnot. And also Marcus was really holding out for Daniel. He didn't want to go on uh with Eucharist without Daniel. I think it's a it's a great choice because Daniel adds so much to the sound and to what Marcus is all about. I'll definitely be listening for whatever album they come up with, just because it's these two guys, and just because they gave us these gifts already. Uh, see what they can do. Shall we move on to Blood Red Stars? Let's
2: do it. Oh. I'm Face
1: tone. <laughs> yes.
2: That's yeah. all I'll say.
1: Yeah. They give him a little room to breathe there at the end. Don't they? <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what G- geezer. Ah, okay. Well, they were studying some Sabbath for production cues. So I, I think yep. that uh, would make sense. That they would uh, jump over to the other rhythm section member. Yeah. Yep. Why not? Why not? Yeah. That's blood red stars. Ends the album. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful 37 minutes. Uh, thanks for joining us on this one. Next time am going to be a little bit more involved. Don't know if we're going to go exactly through the entire Solofold discography, but we're going to pick and choose uh, some of our favorites from that vast body of work. And um, tch, I mean, Solofold, man, come on. We're going to go back to Norway. Are you excited? Jeff. Oh, wait, you're in Norway. <laughs> what am I thinking? always? Yeah. I'm, I'm always a, in Norway. Go back. Go back. Yeah. It's, it's I'm, in
2: our, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going back
1: anywhere. It's in our blood. Please email us at RadicalResearchPodcast at gmail.com. Please PayPal us at PayPal ID, RadicalResearchPodcast at gmail.com. All the money you possibly can to help us uh, defray Zoom hosting costs and other things. We have merchandise on our RadicalResearch.org site. Uh, we have Canvas Solera CDs. We have t-shirts. We have uh, one of my books. We will soon have the Fate's Warning book. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have all kinds of stuff up there. And we're going to have a Eucharist interview on our blog. Thanks to Chris W. And that's about it. Join us for solo in two, maybe three weeks. Don't want to jinx us, but uh, it might take longer than two this time.